This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everyone, what's up? Welcome, episode... 289 Talk Buffalo Podcast, presented today by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Thank you, as always, everyone, for tuning in. Um, with me today, not going to waste any time here, good buddy of mine, recurring guest, Chris Baker from Sabres Prospects. You know, I say it all the time, though, more than just a hockey dude. By the way, I should say Chris Baker and his dogs, because it's like a ritual on this podcast. Every time I have Chris on, at some point, I hear from the dogs as well. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, Patrick. Happy uh, 2021. This is the first time that I've had the pleasure to speak with you in this great year. I'm glad. I think we're all glad that 2020 is over. You will hear from the dogs. And I cannot believe, <laughs> 289, did you say? You've done 289 of these? Yeah, this is 289. Yeah. Jeez. It's been a while, man. Wow. You've been on six or seven of them at least now. I was going to say, though, I can't be at the top of the leaderboard anymore. I mean, I'm sure, like, you, you have Joe on way too much. And um, <laughs> so in 2021, I think this is going to be my year, though, Patrick. I think this is the year that I reclaim the crown of being your number one most abused guest on this show. <laughs> For sure, man. So what have you been up to? By the way, um, um, one thing we're not going to do today is talk COVID or talk politics. I am so sick of politics and all that shit. I went down the rabbit hole. Well, you know what? I'm going to fall for it briefly, at least. With everything going on with the inauguration, post-election, because I've had you on since then, like, were you locked in in terms of cable news and the coverage that's been going on? Like you said, you haven't been on in 2021 yet, so this is your first time this year. And by this year, I mean this month, basically. Uh, But, you know, just all the coverage going on after everything that happened on January 6th, uh, did you pay a lot of attention to that or did you try to at least distance yourself as much as possible from being stuck in front of a television? Because I went down that rabbit hole and and I regret it very much. So I was the guy that was on your show with you and mentioned how I was engaged with um, cable news. Okay. I was the guy though that said that I watched both sides. I watched both yeah. Fox and CNN just to kind of see what lies they're all talking about. You know what I mean? Um, I was engaged. And what's funny about that, though, is that I pretty much stopped watching that as soon as the election was over. It's almost like a sports season. It was done. You move on with your life. And I'll, I'll make this real short and sweet on this whole political sphere speak. Everyone just needs to get together again. Enough of the nonsense. There's too much negativity. There's too much hatred. Um, I see it with friends of mine. Everyone just needs to just stop and get it together. At the end of the day, we all play on the same team. Got to iron out your differences. I think that's the one big benefit of this regime is that we should have an ability without this divisive force to get together. Everyone just needs to get together again. And I'm going to stop there. That's all I'm going to say about that. 
I don't think anyone has an understanding of what my political lean is by making a statement that I just think we all need to come together. It's just been maddening. But anyway, bigger, better things, hopefully coming up soon. By the way, everyone who knows Chris, a big golf guy, your boy Tiger. Now we talked briefly, by the way, Chris has been busy as hell, man. So first of all, thank you for taking the time to do this show because again, some people have all the time in the world like me. And then some people are really tied up in, and busy and you're one of those. So I should probably right at the start have thanked you for being on the show. But now that said, again, you, you're busy. I know you're a big golf fan. Uh, the Tiger Woods documentary that was been on HBO Max, you haven't had a chance to see that yet. You need to see that. I'm not going to give anything away, no spoilers, because I know you're a big golf guy, but that's something I know you're going to want to watch. Huge golf guy. Um, that's one of those things that when I get back into a regular rhythm, getting on the elliptical, which actually is probably going to be when you and I are done talking, I'm going to get my ass on that machine. I'll probably fire that up tonight. Um, but no, you know, the golf, um, I am a huge golf guy and I, I play in a lot of one and done pools. I'm a DFS guy. So daily fantasy sports golf. I, I, I probably, this was the first week though, to the point about my professional life kind of getting in the way of my gambling habits and sports watching habits. This was the, this past week, the farmers was the first week in, I think three or four years that I didn't play any DraftKings lineups in PGA. And it's funny. I feel like I missed every, I feel like I totally lost my edge. I've lost everything. I don't know anything about golf anymore because I took one week off. It's crazy. Um, but the tiger thing, I can't wait to watch that. Everything that I've read or heard about it is like top notch and tiger's an icon very important one of the if you look at our lives one of the biggest sports figures of our lives in terms of how he transformed a game opened a game up to the masses and i can't wait to sit down and just watch it and give it uh, give it its due i watched it with my wife and i said that exact same thing in fact i went even further i think he's number one in my book of just athletes in my lifetime at least that have completely transformed whatever sport that they're uh involved with and and i'll say this and again i'm not going to obviously spoil anything for you but the one thing i will say and again this is not a spoiler but just something to look forward to is what i really liked about this documentary and it's a two-parter is that it wasn't like the michael jordan documentary in 2020 that was so huge the 10-part series i enjoyed that a lot but everything went by mj do you know what i'm saying like nothing was aired on that documentary that he didn't approve that he didn't want that's not the case with Tiger. I'm just going to leave it at that. So, can't wait to watch it now. To. Just real quick though, what which one did you enjoy more, the Jordan one or the Tiger one? Tiger. Okay, no, good to know. You're a good, De- you're a good brown. Definitely Tiger. To... Okay, yeah, cool. definitely good to Tiger. Know. Two, it was two parts, about maybe I don't know, two and a half to three hours total between the two. And uh, like I said, there's lots of people who were interviewed. Tiger was not one of them, so Tiger never <laughs> actually sat down and, and spoke. But again, and I, I'll just watch it for yourself. But I, I know you. I know that uh, you're going to like it. One other quick thing about golf. So now the, ma- the not the majors, the Masters was just in November. I think this year's schedule, at least as of now anyway, is back to the way it used to be. At least when it comes to the Masters. So it's kind of weird for you to, to have the Masters in November. And now you got it coming up, which is before you know it, in early April. Back to normal, hopefully anyway. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it was cool. It was different anyways, you know, because golf was like the saving grace through the pandemic, at least, you know, I mean, we're still in the pandemic technically, but I think we're kind of all used to it. We've adjusted our lives. Having that masters in the fall 
was really cool, but I am ready to kind of get it back to normal right around Easter time. Um, I already know who I'm picking to win the Masters this year. It might be the same guy who just won the uh, Farmers. I love Patrick Reed. I love the villain calling the shot now. I think this is his second Masters tournament win coming up in a few short months, but we'll talk about that when it comes. Nice. And like you said, normalcy. Let's transition to the Sabres because things seem to be back to normal for them. Now, they did have a five-game point streak, but that came to an abrupt conclusion on Sunday with a really ugly loss to the Devils, a team that's not very good and we're missing guys. So as we take this and we're taping this on Monday evening, late Monday evening, Buffalo's 4-4-2 after 10 games, which I don't know, to me seems about right. Like, do you feel like right now after 10 games, this is where you feel like the Sabres should be? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that's, I think it's exactly where we envision them. I think this is where they're going to be all year. Um, You know, but overall, I mean, (laughs) it's been a tough start because even though they're right where they've been, they have squandered some points. And I'm sure we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but no, I mean, you know, in a shortened season, so they're playing 56 games this year, there is no, Hey, they need a little time for it to come together, especially in Buffalo where everyone's just impatient as it is with the Sabres. Um, So with that said, even though they're right where at least I envision them to be, and I think this is where they're going to be right on that playoff bubble all year, I understand people being upset about the team and the product because they have squandered some of those points. Well, when it comes, let me ask you this. Why is this team not playing well at all five on five? Because just this weekend against, I think anyway, an inferior New New Jersey team, Playing against goaltender Scott Wedgwood and Eric Comrie over the weekend. Dude, they only scored three even straight goals in two games against the Devils. They haven't been good this year, five on five. Why do you why is that? I think if well, you know, they started the year okay five on five. I mean, when Thompson was on that line, I think the first game was kind of sketchy, but I mean, there's a couple of reasons, in my opinion, that they're not hitting the mark. First of all, if you look at just the games over the weekend with New Jersey, you're clearly seeing, in my opinion, the, the how you miss Sam Reinhardt when he's not in the lineup. I think he's one of those glue guys. He's good for the, the possession game. You know, you think about the first couple of weeks of the season, at least let's just say the, well, they only been playing a couple of weeks, the first couple of games of the season. When mm-hmm. you were watching that top line, they had the puck nonstop. They were possession dynamos. And if you look at all the advanced metrics, that Hall and Eichel combo, whether it was with Thompson or whether when they had, um, you know, Olafson moved up, you know, on that top line. And especially when Reinhardt got up there, they were always controlling the puck. I think what you're seeing, though, are shooting percentages that are just not there from where they are for historical averages. I mean, like Eichel is a, a, a 10% shooting percentage guy. He's at around five. Skinner, we can talk about him a little bit. He's like a 10% career shooting percentage guy. Well, he's zero. Okay, because he hasn't scored a goal yet. Right. I think the numbers get better when they, you know, maybe there's been some bad luck. Um, but I think also you need a little bit more of, you know, I think Taylor Hall has been inconsistent and he started off okay. Okay. I think when he gets his rhythm in Buffalo, everything will come together. You get Reinhardt healthy and you get Taylor Hall going. I mean, Hall's looked really sluggish the past couple of games. I don't know what it is. It was like, you know, I don't want to joke about COVID or anything like that, but he, like he reminds me of the past couple of games, like when Cam Newton was just coming off of COVID. He was sluggish, right. inaccurate, didn't seem sharp. That's kind of, I'm not saying that Taylor Hall's sick, by the way, okay? But he's giving pucks away. 
he just doesn't seem fully engaged. And I think that that's a big part of the problem with the five on five play, just because of the minutes that he plays. So, you know, you look at bad luck, you look at shooting percentage being down, Jeff Skinner, until he starts playing the same sheet of music as the other guys, he's going to be buried. And he's only, you know, he needs to get up to be 17, 18 minutes, not 13 or 14 or wherever he's at right now. There's, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of things that haven't happened yet that should. And I think it's a fair bet that all these things that we're talking about will happen. Eichel will get up to his standard shooting percentage. I think Skinner eventually will move up the lineup. I think Ralph wants to. But these are the things that you're seeing in five-on-five play. Again, the first couple of games of the season, they were dominant with the puck. If you're into expected goals for percentages and things like that, the numbers were there. Ristolainen and McCabe were holding their own defensively, playing the big minutes with the big forwards. It's the forwards now that have to score. They have to consistently get to the net. You can have the puck all day, but if you're not getting to the net, it doesn't matter. And those are the things that I'm noticing with the team right now. I have no concern. Like if you look at some of the additions, whether it's, you know, Toby Reader, I think he's been pretty dang good. Um, Eakin's been okay for what he is. You know, I don't really have a problem necessarily with the bottom. I mean, look at Jeff Skinner. He's been playing fourth line minutes. Again, if you're into the numbers, his expected goals 4% per 60. I think he's the only guy that has, a, a, you know, over a over one expected goal per 60. And he's playing fourth line minutes. Things are going to happen. The bounces are going to start going their way, and the puck's going to start going into the net. But until then, they're going to be a, a mediocre, middling, you know, 500-ish club fighting to get in the playoffs. When it, I want to circle back to Taylor Hall. So he signs a one-year, $8 million deal, and just a handful of games into the season, he's already not playing with Jack Eichel. Um, I don't know if it was realistic or if it is now that he might sign a long-term deal eventually with Buffalo. Do you think, now I know there's been nothing reported. I don't even know that anything's been speculated. I'm kind of asking you this just as a hockey fan for your opinion on this, but do you think that's frustrating to Taylor Hall to, to choose Buffalo over other teams? I'm sure that playing with Jack Eichel had, I don't want to more than just a little part in him coming to Buffalo. And again, we're a handful of games into the season and now he's on a line with, not with Jack Eichel. What do you think about that? You know, I thought about that. As soon as they moved him down, I said, oh man, you know, they're probably already going against the promise that they made him. You know, because I, I would assume that, you know, playing with Jack Eichel was the biggest draw. It's not the fact that he's from Ontario and it's close to home or any of that crap. You know, I don't think coming to play in Buffalo is on anyone's bucket list. Let's face it. OK, it was about coming to play with Jack Eichel. Sure. But Taylor Hall has to take accountability for his game. And he's a professional. And he knows that. And is he disappointed? I'm sure. Is he disappointed that he's only scored one goal and it came on the opening night? Of course. He owns that, though. And, you know, sometimes, like, we, we talked about this a little bit over the summer. It, maybe it wasn't you and I, but just Sabres fans in general, is that, you know, has Taylor Hall really ever had this caliber of, you know, uh, in his prime centerman like Jack Eichel? I mean, I know he had some pretty good talent around him for a little bit there when he was in Edmonton, but he didn't necessarily have it in Jersey. He definitely didn't have it in Arizona. He should have been just chomping at the bit to get this season started. And I think he had a little bit of a bag deflator there when he just didn't start clicking every every game like you would think. He should be automatic playing with Jack Eichel, and he hasn't been. He has to own that, though. So, again, I mean, if you're, if you're taking a longer view, there's a lot of, of season left to play out, a lot of runway here. 
And I believe that he wants to be in Buffalo long-term. He just needs to make it work on the ice now to confirm that belief that he wants to be here. And you just got to let it play out, you know? I mean, that's it. But I mean, I, I see a lot of fans, you know, like when it comes up with Skinner, they're disappointed in the coach's decision. That's the coach's job, though, is to make those decisions. And just moving Hall down a line to maybe see if you can get him going was something that you had to try because you can't have just one goal through 10 games. I know he has eight assists, but he's there to score goals. Get him scoring, move him back up, see if it works. Uh, when it comes to Jack right now, so he's got 11 points. He's tied for eighth in the league. Again, as we're taping this on Monday night, so he's tied for eighth in points. But I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and a little bit on Facebook as well saying they don't feel like he's really playing all that well. And I've even seen some go as far to say that he's looking disinterested, which that I don't agree with. Um, and, you know, maybe he has his mind on his future with the Sabres, possibly another team. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if you think Jack wants out because I don't think that's the case. But let me I will say this, and this is something I'm pretty sure you and I have talked about this before. So we're now in year six of Jack Eichel's career. To this point, I think it's very fair to say that he has played as well, realistically, as anyone could have hoped for when the Sabres got him with the second overall pick. He's played very good. He's been a good player on the ice, at least, if nothing else. Do you think that this could be the year? This could be the boiling point if this team is out of the postseason? And again, short in season or not, come this offseason or because I don't think anything will happen near the trade deadline with him. But come this offseason, you think this is going to be a guy who's going to be so frustrated and angry with this organization and the way his career's going that he's going to force his way out if things don't start to change quickly? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make this statement first, and then I'll, ba- I'll go backwards from here. I wouldn't blame him if he wanted out if the team doesn't make the playoffs. And I, I would totally understand it. I mean, you can't. You know, you, you play to win, and I think that the organization takes a beating from fans, whether it's you know, the arena or, you know, whatever, GM, revolving door, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Um, bottom line is, though, is that Jack Eichel had a lot of pressure as soon as he stepped foot on the ice in Buffalo. And I think it weighs on a guy like that. I, I think that he was really young and maybe naive just coming in. I mean, he knew what was going on around him with the whole McEichel thing and the tank and all this other stuff. It created a lot of pressure that maybe he didn't realize right away. And all of a sudden, I think that maybe the weight of that is really, it just increases every year they don't make the playoffs. Jack Eichel's too good of a hockey player to not get playoff hockey. That's the bottom line. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them for wanting to leave if they don't improve in the standings this year. All the more reason why you have to get Taylor Hall going. All the more reason why you got to get Jeff Skinner, you know, playing on the same sheet of music, like I said earlier, as all the other guys. Because it's I, that's pretty clear. If you're reading between the lines with with Kruger, he's upset because, you know, you can't have a guy freelance. And, and, and again, in his estimation, um, you got to get everybody going to keep the, you know, keep the momentum going to get, um, you know, just positive progress. So do I think that he would want out? I do. I do. And I wouldn't blame him. And I know that no one in Buffalo wants to hear that. But five years in, you know, or how many, how many years into his career now? You, you got to make, six, yeah. yeah, this is sixth. He's making good money. You know, he's set up. He should be at the point right now where the team should be built around him and he should be able to go and make everybody better 
And it's just not happening right now. The Taylor Hall move, though, I think the first thing that clicked for a lot of Sabres fans when they got him was this is it. This is like that big factor that's going to get Jack reengaged. And if he did, if he was questioning whether or not he wanted to be here, this was the one factor, you know, and now they're separated. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I get it that he's still playing with his tandem bike buddy Reinhardt a little bit, but teams got to improve and it can't all be on Jack. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I've always said to to friends of mine that, you know, it was when that second bonus, and I, I think it's 2023, I think it's not the season, the season after is when, you know, he theoretically becomes easier to trade once that big bonus is paid out. And I look at that as like, I was saying basically coming into the season, again, I don't have it up in front of me, Patrick, so I, got, I apologize for that. But I, I see that bonus, that next big bonus that he gets, that lump sum, is kind of like the pivot point. It might not be this season, but it might be when that is. And I think that's two years from now. Um, so I guess, you know, we'll, we'll find out, Patrick. But, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just it's very frustrating for me as a fan to watch, the fan of the sport. You know, but here in Buffalo, I want to see a good product. I've told you that many times. And he deserves better. He deserves better. Well, let's, let me ask you this. because, And I'm glad you said if something were to happen this offseason, if the Sabres miss the playoffs again and Jack does want out and it becomes public, that you don't blame him. I'm glad you said that because that's what I'm concerned about. I feel like a lot of fans would turn on him. And I mean, look, they're, they're kind of going for it right now. They just paid big money to Taylor Hall, one year, $8 million. But let's just say this team... I don't want to say regresses because I mean, let's be real here. How much more can they regress? How the hell they can have, you go backwards now? Right, right. right exactly. Over the, over the last eight years or so, eight, nine years. So they missed the playoffs again, hypothetically. Taylor Hall, who was brought here to play with Jack, he's gone. He goes somewhere else. They don't get Skinner going. So now you got a $9 million guy on the third or fourth line, whatever you want to call it, who maybe scores, I don't know what, six, seven, eight goals maybe in 56 games. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I can't see him wanting to stick around any longer. And like you said, how can you blame the dude, man? He's done everything on the ice realistically that you can ask for. But, you know, I, again, the critics of him, and there are some critics of him, and I, you know, they're saying that he's, maybe he's not the best teammate. You know I mean? He's not, maybe he's not meant to be a captain. He's not the best teammate. I've even heard in some cases, which I don't agree with, but, you know, he's a coach killer. Which, by the way, let me ask you that too, because I want to, I do want to hit on the coach. Because I saw a tweet from um, James Kurtzell. He's a radio guy. And I want to get I want to get your take on this. He, and this was his direct tweet. He said, when more than half of your players are underperforming, it's coaching. And if your superstars look disinterested, it's coaching. Do you agree with that at all? And more specifically, when it comes to Ralph, because, I mean, you got to look at it as a big picture. And it's been like a circus in Buffalo with the head coaches ever since Lenny Ruff got fired, what, seven, eight years ago? Rolston yeah. and Nolan and Blagsma and Housley. And now a pairs are stuck in the mud with, with Kruger. He can't get a lot of these bigger name players playing well. And at some point is, is it the coach's fault? Is it the guy? I mean, what, what's going on? And, and mind you this too. This is not like this is a bottom feeder team in the NHL that they're playing. Okay. It's not like they're playing yeah. terrible. So, but all that, that said, I don't know, like what's your take on the coaching right now? Things with Skinner being on the fourth line or third line whatever you want to call it, or just seemingly a lot of guys just not playing as well as we think they should be. Well, I think that, you know, so the coach's job is really just bring a group of guys together under one cause, right? Sure. And 
I think in hockey, coaches spend a lot of time. It's really all about preventing goals and creating structure in the defensive zone without stifling creativity. I think Ralph does all of those things. I think he has a way to communicate to guys and communicate them individually the way that they need to be communicated to, to get motivated. I think he can bring guys together under the common goal. And I think that he has expectations of structure and doesn't stifle offensive creativity. I can't really put it on Kruger. I think Kruger's, you know, he, he's, he's a proven commodity in terms of a leader. He's almost maybe more of a president of hockey operations, maybe more so than an actual bench boss. But I can't, I can't really blame this on the coach. And I know what James is saying with that tweet. I didn't see his tweet, so I'm glad you shared that with me. Um, I just don't, I, I can't put it on, I can't put it on Kruger because at the end of the day, if you believe that Ralph isn't out there stifling creativity, well, then that's on the players to go out there and create and score. And, you know, I, I think the same thing, if you want to, if just to shift to Skinner for a second, like I think your opinion of Skinner changes when you look at your own professional life and if you manage people or if you're, you know, you're more in more of a support role at your job. Okay. So I played sports my whole life. I'm, I'm now in a position where I manage a team. And if I had someone on my team that I didn't feel was kind of with the program, I'm going to like limit their ability <laughs> until I had confidence in them being on the same program as everyone else. I think that's exactly what Ralph is doing with Skinner right now. And it's not to say Skinner's a bad hockey player, but at the same time, it's pretty clear that Skinner is center dependent. He's dependent on a guy to get him the puck. And he needs to earn that right because look at the other guys ahead of him on the wings. I can't make a case right now to put Skinner ahead of Hall, even though Hall's sluggish and I made the COVID cam thing. <laughs> I can't yeah. put him ahead of Reinhardt. I'm not so sure that he's earned the right to play ahead of Dylan Cousins. Dylan Cousins been great. Limited, you know, limited exposure, but I think he looks really good. I think he's ahead of where – and that kid's going to be a beast, by the way. Physically, fast, everything. He's going to be a beast. So, And I can't put him ahead of Olofsson. So Skinner's got to force his way up. He's got to get the trust of that decision maker. That's Ralph's job, whether we like it or not. I see a lot of fans that want to just say, you know, it's Ralph's fault. He's not playing Skinner and we're paying him all this money and he's not playing him with the guy that he needs to play with. But at the same time, I can't make the case just yet, even though he's you know, actually, and I, I shouldn't say that I can more now than I could maybe two weeks ago, because even though Skinner and when you watch him play, he's all over the place. You can see that he's definitely not in the structure of what Kruger wants, but I think that, you know, if, if everything goes in, to Ralph's plan, Skinner will get in line and he'll force his way up the lineup. And then all of a sudden that whole spreading the scoring out makes more sense because at least he's not on the fourth line. Maybe he's on the second line. Maybe he's on the first line. You know, you need those interchangeable parts. Here's the other thing with Eichel, by the way. Eichel could theoretically, should at this point, be like Crosby. Even though Crosby plays with Gensel, there's many times where Crosby played with like Dominic Simone. He's made Brian Rust a star almost in this league. He played with Connor Sherry, I think, for a little bit. Like, you can put Eichel with two guys to force talent downward to allow you to spread the scoring out. The problem is I think they're afraid to do it because that's just another step in the wrong direction for Eichel. He needs to play with Taylor Hall right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And 
Like I, I go back to Eichel, Patrick, I'm all over the place. I get it. Okay. But with Eichel, I don't know what more he can do. He's playing over 21 minutes a night. He's over a point per game. He's winning more than half of his faceoffs. I don't know what more he can do. So again, it goes back to the whole overarching thought of why you brought the Sabres up. And that's kind of what everyone's talking about right now. If they don't make the playoffs right now, Eichel can't do more than what he's doing, at least in my eyes. I know fans want him to score two goals every night, you know, but I don't know. What more can he do, Patrick? What more can he do? <laughs> yeah. <Honestly. laughs> I hear you, he's man. Had bad luck. He's had bad luck. By the way, all great players will go stretches of games without scoring a goal. I know he had a long one here, but you know, what is he? At? I think he's got two in his last two. Is that right? I have to go back and look. Hopefully um, they start I- coming in bunches now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got one goal in his last two and then, and plus a shootout goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? There's, there's two more guys that I want to hit on you specifically about. One of them is I want your level because one of the reasons why I love talking to you is you're a very level headed guy. Give me a take right now or not a take. Give me an evaluation on Rasmus Dahlin right now, because the kid is, all right. So he's got three points so far. He got, he scored his first goal on Sunday. It's a minus nine. He's playing just under 20 minutes a game. He's clearly not at this point become that cornerstone franchise superstar generational talent that was the top overall pick three years ago that we were all hoping for. But at the same token, the kid's 20 years old, man. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know, should fans be worried? Is this part of just the process of where you think he's, uh, you know, the journey to becoming a great player? Are you a little more concerned now than maybe you were a year ago? Where do you stand when it comes with Darlene right now? Not overly concerned. I'm concerned about his confidence. Um, that's going to be the thing that gets him over the hump. I'm not like long-term. Should people be worried? Not really. Not really. I mean, he's got a pretty impressive track record offensively since he came into the league, believe it or not, in terms of some of the names that his point totals have rivaled. Great defensemen of the past, guys like Bobby Orr, Phil Housley when he was young. I know Phil Housley's kind of like a running joke now, but he was a hell of a young player when he was there in Buffalo in the 80s. That's Darlene. And, you know, you're in Florida, okay? You're on the west part of Florida, right? Maybe in the Tampa-ish area, like yep. Just yep. south of Tampa. Okay, so there's a really great defenseman that plays in Tampa. His name is Victor Hedman. You may have heard of him. I might and have. It took, <laughs> and it took him about five years, Okay. Mm-hmm. Victor Hedman was called a bust for four, five years. And the worst thing, the biggest mistake that people in Buffalo can do right now is to go all Victor Hedman on Rasmus Dahlin. Dahlin's going to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. When you were talking about this kid when he was 17 and, and you know becoming 18 in his draft year, it came with the asterisk that it's going to take a little bit of time for him to become a man. This was a big off season for him. Now it's all about his head. I think physically he's pretty damn close to where he needs to be. Certainly stronger. He had a guy freaking hump on his back and he, you know, gave him a little suplex action. That was fun. He wasn't doing <laughs> that. That was nice. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's going to be fine now that his body's there. He's got to get his head there. There, I don't think there's anything to worry about with him, and no one wants to deal with that. No one's patient. Every prospect, if they're not, you know, an all-star when they're 21, 22, they're a bust. You know, Casey Middlestad, 90% of Sabres Twitter um, declared him dead, you know, over the summer, and now he practiced today with Eichel, ironically. Um, you got to give these guys a little bit room to breathe, and I get it. No one wants it while they're in the NHL and their time. 
But that's just kind of the fact of the matter. And Dowling's going to be just fine, Pat. As somebody, because again, you followed the Buffalo Bills closely. And by the way, we'll talk some Bills in a few minutes. How much of this is culture? And by that, I mean this. And I'm talking in terms of how, especially how fans perceive the team. Like for many, many years when it came to the Bills, we'd be like, yo, so how's this team going going to find a way to lose? You know, when's the rug going to get pulled out from underneath us? We expect this guy to play bad. We attack this guy every little thing. You nitpick and you nitpick and you nitpick. When it came to the Bills for almost 20 years. Different story now with the Buffalo Bills. You know, Matt Milano will go down. A.J. Klein looked like shit early on. But he didn't get buried. Ended up playing very well later on. Uh, Teron Johnson, another guy who maybe a couple years ago, we would have killed him to no end because the guy couldn't seem to cover anybody. But he makes some big plays for the Bills now. The pick six, obviously, against yeah, Baltimore. Everyone, everyone was shitting on Edmonds for the first four weeks of the season this year. Yeah, but it's like these guys turn it around, and it's almost like the fans expect it to turn around. We're at the point now with the Sabres, you get a, a great player like Darlene, and you expect the worst. You expect Middlestat to be a bust. Yeah, even <laughs> Cousins, who I agree with you, you said he's going to be a beast. There's a lot of Sabre fans who are like, well, he's never probably going to be that good because he's in, he's a Buffalo Sabre. Do you know what I'm saying? It's How much do you think that, like, just being in a losing culture right now. And that's what it is. People could deny it if they want. This is an organization that has a, a big time losing culture right now. Anyway, how much does that go into the perception of reality? Like you, you're giving us level-headed evaluations of just Skinner, where the average fan who's just thinks of this team as losers, frankly, you know, they're going to bury a guy like that. You know what I'm saying? The culture means a lot, doesn't it? There's a culture with fans and the team and they kind of are intertwined and the Sabres created this culture of losing. They right. made it acceptable. So I understand the psyche, but that, that's the problem though too, is that there's this whole trickle down effect when you do that. And that was the danger of the shit that they did is everything then gets accelerated and magnified. Okay. So just because your team sucked, doesn't mean that human development is going to accelerate. Rasmus Dahlin needed a couple years to become a man. Same thing with Casey Middlestad. Same thing that you're going to see with Cousins. If anyone's saying that Cousins isn't going to be a beast, oh my God, look at his neck already. Look at the, <laughs> look at the, the limbs on this kid, and you can just project that body to when it's going to have 15 pounds of muscle on it. That he's going to be a horse. And I know they call him the workhorse from Whitehorse, which is, I'm already like tired of that. It's kind of a shitty name because it's just too easy. But it's true. That kid, he's going to be just like a just exceptional talent when he's just so much stronger. Um, but culture matters, matters in business, matters in sports. And they created that. That was the danger of doing what they did. And that was a business decision. You know what I mean? So I understand expectation. But again, though, that's why no one wants a young player to develop on their time, the fans' time, because they're paying their money, right, to watch the team. And they have a lot invested in it. So no, but it's, that's the same thing with Eichel, though, too. And it goes back to that pressure I was talking about. That culture of losing that they created, it became okay to go out and get one person. It put except, it's just immense pressure on Jack Eichel. And in order for Jack Eichel to be Jack Eichel, having all this pressure on him, he needs help. And he hasn't had the level of help, at least consistency, consistently. Okay, So I, I have a lot of problems with where the Sabres are. I do believe, though, and again, this is where it comes into play where it's like, oh, you know, you have a reputation for being maybe overly positive. Kevin Adams, I like Kevin Adams and I want him to do well. You know what the problem is with Kevin Adams? He has no experience. 
And I'm, my fear is that with Kevin Adams is that it leads to more losing and it perpetuates the spiral that you're in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But this goes back to ownership. Okay. This doesn't go back to Darcy and Lindy. And by the way, I am all about continuity. The Sabres were spoiled with continuity with Darcy and Lindy, whether you like the results or not. They had some pretty damn good teams when both of those guys were here. And since the Bagulas came in, it's like they changed the business plan. I couldn't work for a company that changed the business plan every year. And that's essentially what you're doing when you have a revolving door in that GM office. And they made a mistake. I think, you know, maybe this year it's kind of hard to say if they made the right decision. I think that it made sense for them to, to pick Kevin Adams as a guy that's going to set the culture. The Bills culture, by the way, which is spectacular, started with Bean. Well, it started with, they got McDermott first, right? And then Bean. Right. But at the same time, pretty much. It starts with the GM and all the guys that you install in the positions. And my concern about the Bill, the Sabres front office right now is that they're all, while they're Pagula people, and they're probably coming at a, at a reduced pay rate, which was important to the Pagulas, obviously, this year. The lack of experience concerns me, both not just from GM, but also scouting, the player evaluations, what it's going to take when you have to make a trade. I'm, I'm worried about that, and I think that that's, that's a bigger issue that I think about. It's not so much the guys on the ice. I think the guys on the ice are going to figure it out, like I've said. Ownership has to figure out their end of the bargain and improve the culture, and that's where it's going to come from. Uh, one more Sabres item here. What, what do they do with Carter Hutton? Because, <laughs> I mean, look, man. You go back to last Thursday. Okay. Sometimes when your team plays bad and I get it for many, many years, Sabre fans, we were all spoiled by Dominic Hasek. I get it. Even Ryan Miller to an extent as well, where there were many nights where the team just played shitty and point the goalie stole points. Bottom line. We saw it last Thursday. Olmark was brilliant against the Rangers. He stole a point. The Sabres should have got crushed on Thursday and they ended up getting a point, um, a shootout loss. You fast forward to Sunday's game. I mean, dude, come on. He was terrible. He's been in net four times this year. He's, I think he's been okay in one of those games and he's been terrible the rest of the time. He's, I don't even think his save percentage is 900 right now. Bad yeah. goals. He's letting in. And the, here's the thing. You're, the guy's 35 years old. What's going to change about him? Like what realistically can they do? Cause I know they don't want to play Olmark every day, every game. But again, if you want to contend in this shortened season for a playoff spot, I almost feel like you're conceding a minimum of one point every time you put Carter Hunt in the net. What can they do about it? So it's a good observation. And I think you're right if you summarize your thoughts and say you're probably conceding a point every time he plays because that's the risk. They brought Hutton in to kind of be that placeholder that allowed Allmark to develop into what Allmark is developing into. And I was on with um, your friends uh, from 716 Podcast, uh, Jeff and uh, Steve and those uh -huh. guys. Good like guys, a couple yeah. weeks ago, right before the season. Great guys. Oh, my God. Um, and I said, you know what? If the Sabres make the playoffs this year, the the MVP is going to be Linus Allmark's groin. Because <laughs> if he gets hurt, you're screwed. Yeah. Now, that brings me to Hutton. Okay, so with Hutton, he's probably a bottom 10 backup at this point in the NHL. That's not good. Okay? And... I, I just have problems with Hutton's game. So if you want to break down his game, now again, this might be like too goalie nerd for your audience, but just bear with me, everyone. I, <laughs> Go ahead, man. Go ahead. So with Carter Hutton, my whole problem with him is that he's never set. 
Okay. And when you're not set for each shot, you're slide, you're oversliding, you're overplaying, you're falling on your ass, you're forced to scramble too much. He's never set. And his whole game breaks down from there. And he has this thing where he's not he's not six five or six six like Pekka Rene or some of these other big giants that are in nets now. He's he's six one, I think. And he purposely will sink deep into the net. And that's not good either. That works when you're a big guy. It doesn't work when you're his size. So I think he overplays. I think it all goes back to him not being set. And like simple saves look really hard for Hutton. That's not a good sign. And I I think it doesn't help too. I look at his pads. If you want to be like a gear nerd, I think there's people that will disagree with me, but his pads are like freaking pinball flippers, man. Those (laughs) Those rebounds just pop out way too much. There's no control there. And people say, oh, there's no such thing as rebound control. Oh, bullshit. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. They teach it. How to steer your pucks to the corner and how to control your rebounds where they fall right in front of you. They don't, all, not all shots hit your goalie pads. Some hit your shoulder, your chest, your belly. You can control those. He has hard time with that too. Everything looks really hard with him. So, you are probably conceding a point, and I, and I don't like saying that. I'm a firm believer that the goaltender, so you, you got to be poised. You got to be calm. Calm wins. Very rarely do you see a guy who's like over energetic and, you know, too much, uh, you know, he's not efficient with his economy of movement and everything else. And he sets a bad tempo, a bad tone for the team, like a calming presence in the crease sends a wave out that captures a whole team in front of you. And it's that present. He doesn't have that. They're just, he's very different from Allmark that way. And Allmark, by the way, he was a guy that was falling on his ass all the time when he was really young. He was scrambling around a lot, just didn't have a lot of structure to his game. He wasn't, you know, like he corrected that. He's taken so much corrective action in his game from the time he's drafted till now. Hutton, it's like he's just not traveling to enough shots on his feet and he's not getting set. And I think that's where his game breaks down. And that's Mike Bales, or I don't know whoever else is going to work with them. That's their job is to fix that because you're not going to be able to give up a point every time you have to roll him out there in a compressed schedule where you're paying all these back-to-backs. You've got to rely on him. And it goes back to my point. What's the plan in goal? You're lucky that Allmark's doing a good job this year, reasonably good. But what's the plan? Lukanen's not the plan yet. He's still. They want him in Rochester this year and probably next they have an expectation of the number of games in North America that he plays before he even comes close to getting in the NHL. He's not anywhere close to that number yet. Jonas Johansson's not an NHL goalie. What's the plan? And I get in retrospect, it's easy why they didn't make a play for a guy like, I don't know, Corey Crawford, which I know he retired. So that would have backfired anyways, but they didn't go out in free agency and look for a goalie. And we know why now, because they were in on hall who would have dreamt it. Right. Right. But, but that's, What's the plan? <laughs> it's because it's not Hutton. This is the final year for when they what they wanted to get out of Hutton. And I don't know what the plan is. Yeah. So that's my concern. You got to rely on him right now. I know I'm long-winded on that, but I'm really kind of passionate about goaltending, and he's just not hitting the mark. Well, it's very important. Again, you look at a game like Tuesday where I feel like the Sabres stole a point, and then you look at a game like Sunday where I feel like the Sabres didn't get any points. I feel like they gave away two points because the goaltending was just flat out inferior to New Jersey's and it cost them. Now, so far through 10 games, 
uh, the split's been 6-4. Omar's played six. Hudden's played four. Hudden, had, I think he had a head injury for, he was a game or two or whatever. And yeah, I, Omar had the personal yeah. issue. But yeah. I don't know, man. 56 games, that 60-40 split for me, they got to find a way to, to widen that gap because that's just not going to work. And starting Tuesday, most people are, which is today for most people listening, uh, over the next seven days. So they're at New York, the Islanders for two, and then they're at Boston for two, man. And in this division, that's a critical stretch because there's, again, only 56 games. Uh, so, in fact, after those four games over this next week, we're already about a third of the way through the regular season. You look at the standings. I mean, come on. Washington and Philly, they're in the playoffs, okay? Boston uh, in the playoffs. You're probably realistically, am I right to assume this? Best case scenario for the Sabres, and I mean best case, realistically, is they get themselves in a dogfight with Pittsburgh and the Islanders for that fourth spot. That sounds about right, correct? It's all about the last playoff spot. That's what I was saying before, man. The expectation was that they'd be teetering right on that last spot. And I just want to go back one more point on the goaltending because you mentioned the six to four. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's how it's going to be. You can't, because there's no plan right now that I can tell, you can't wear out Allmark. You can't throw them out there. You're never going to get in this schedule. You can't overuse them because you can't afford to have his body break down. You got to man it. You got to get Hutton right. That's it. And Hutton had a good game, by the way. You know, it's not like all of them have been duds. Right. He has the ability to do it. Some days he looks like a very competent number two. Right now he's not. And you got to work on that because you can't just shift that entire workload to Allmark. That's not going to work either. Got to get Hutton right. End of story. Yeah. Well, like I said, if if the realistically Pittsburgh and the Islanders and, you know, they get themselves in a little three-way fight for fourth place, they play the Islanders twice this week. So those are going to be uh, big games for sure. Before I get it out of here, I, w- I, w- I do want to switch gears real quick, talk a little Buffalo Bills here. So with the salary cap situation, which for Buffalo is different and a lot of teams is different this year, uh, the Bills have been in very good cap shape in recent years, in part because in 2018, Brandon Bean ate a lot of dead cap money and really purged a lot of the bigger contracts on the roster. So for the last two years, they've been able to be very active in free agency and also to trade by picking up Stefan Diggs. Not going to be the case this year. They're not in really good cap shape and uh, it's going to affect what they can, you know, fetch on the open market. And the Bills have two significant free agents right now or pending free agents, I should say, unrestricted free agents um, between Matt Milano and Daryl Williams. And the reality is probably best case unless, I mean, look, don't put anything past Brandon Bean. He could do a lot of maneuvering, some restructuring, some cuts. And I do think there will be some cap casualties and stuff like that. But you're asking an awful lot to be able to re-sign both Milano and Darrell Williams. Uh, If that turns out to be the case, and let's just say for the sake of discussion right now, that they can only sign one, what do you think the team's more likely to do? Because, I mean, when you look at the money, both these guys are going to get paid. They're both good players. Um, Darrell Williams is 28 years old. Okay. And he just had a really good year. And there's a lot of not, there's a decent amount of teams that have a lot of cap room. The, the, the bills, I almost said the Sabres, <laughs> the bills, yeah, we're, done, we're done with them. The, yeah. Yeah. We're done with the Sabres, man. The bills have a, I'm sure the bills have a number of value that they'd like to pay him, but you know how it goes in free agency every year in the NFL. There's always a couple of teams that are willing to overpay. So you got to assume these guys are going to get 
good deals. They're not coming back on any short-term, you know, hometown discounts. Uh, between these two, who do you think is more likely to to return to Buffalo, if either? Boy, okay, so this is really hard, obviously, and that's why it's a good talking point. Um, I, so I, I, okay, let me frame it this way. Let me let me know if you agree with this statement. Football, the games are won by controlling the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and having a, yes, I, hold on. I, I I agree with that's one B. One A is having a, a great quarterback who can overcome a lot of deficiencies. Okay. Somebody like a a Mahomes or you know a, a Deshaun Watson. More on him in a second. But yeah, I, the trenches are incredibly important. Okay. Sure. So and I look at this revolving door of right tackles at the Sabres or the Bills. Now I'm doing it. <laughs> I got um, you. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause like, if you look like, so let's throw some of the names out there that you've had, like Quanjo, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. I think Chantrell Henderson, didn't he play the right side? Um, uh, yeah, he, he did for a while. For a little um, while. And I think Cody Ford, they wanted him there, but they moved him inside. They drafted him. Yeah. They originally drafted him for a, uh, to be the right tackle. And they've, they moved him to guard. But yeah, I mean, Jordan Mills, let's not forget about Jordan Mills. And Jordan Mills, oh my God. Eric Pears was a, a right tackle for the Bills. Oh um, so yeah, yeah, Kirk Chambers, uh, remember Langston Walker. So yeah, I, I get where you're going with this. You get where right I'm tackle, going with this, right? But this right is tackle has not been in position of strength for the Buffalo Bills. No, it hasn't been. And now you have a guy that has, by the way, roots with Bean and McDermott who aren't going anywhere. Right. And you have this meal ticket that you have to protect. Okay, so let's just stop right there and let's go on the defensive side of the ball and you look at Milano. I love Matt Milano. He might be my favorite defensive player on this team when he's healthy. Okay? Me too. And there you go, right there. The health, I think, is a concern with him. I love the way that he pairs with Edmonds and they play together. I love how he can get to the quarterback as a linebacker, shoot the gap when they blitz. I love how he does it. I think he, he could probably even hit the quarterback more than he has. And I think it's, I, I, I think you want to talk about culture. We were talking about culture. I think Milano is like one of these guys, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, a lot better than I, Patrick, he is huge for the team's culture. Yes. So I, I'd have a hard time losing either of them. If I had to choose one, and knowing that I'm about to make a significant investment in Josh Allen, I have to get that continuity on the offensive line. And I think that that's where, it, and it's not the sexiest call. I get it. I think that's where I go first. It really hurts me to agree with you because I don't want to agree with you because I don't want to lose Matt Milano. I really don't. It hurts I me like to say that, Patrick. It hurts me to say that. <laughs> Minus the Chiefs game where Matt Milano was terrible, but you know what? I'll tell you 10 other guys on the defense that were pretty terrible as well that week. Um, he is a, the Bills defense is night and day better with Matt Milano. I mean, it's not, you don't need to be an all 22 film expert. You don't need to be a football guru or savant to know that the Bills defense is better with Matt Milano. He's a playmaker. And this is where it's easy to be armchair quarterbacks. Cause one criticism that I've heard, and I've levied this criticism myself in the past, is the Bills made a mistake before the season started because they could have cut Trent Murphy and they could have rolled over like $8 million of his money the way the rule was this year with COVID 
Had they cut him, they could have rolled over $8 million. They could have saved $8 million, and then they could have elected to roll it over into 2021. And they didn't do that. And it's very easy for us to criticize that now because in hindsight, it was a terrible move because Trent Murphy was no factor. But to those people, I would say this, and including myself, again, because I also criticize this move, you're trying to win a championship. Last year, they felt they had a team that could win. And you have a rookie defensive end, A.J. Epinesa, who was undersized. And you're one injury away from that position, defensive end, becoming thin. So you got a guy under contract. You're not under salary cap trouble. If nothing else, Trent Murphy was going to be insurance. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I get, I get it at the time. He played, Trent Murphy suited up against the Ravens and actually was very effective. In fact, he was the one who knocked Lamar Jackson out of that football game with that hit on, on that fumble. That's right. And then he didn't play against the Chiefs. But my point is, yeah, had we had the benefit of knowing that the Bills defensive ends were going to stay healthy this year and Murphy wasn't going to be an asset, then sure, you wish you cut him. But anyway, the point being was that money would have went a long way towards getting Milano's deal done before the season. Now, from what I hear and what I read, I've read projections that Milano is going to be in line to get maybe somewhere between 11 to 14 million a year. It's a lot of money, man. And I have a really hard time seeing the Bills pay that. Williams is, uh, he only said he gambled on himself a little bit. He only had a one-year, $2 million deal, $2.2 million or something like that. Yeah. He's 28 years old. He was a pro bowler in 2017, had the knee injury. He played very well. He was solid this year. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. If they only sign one, because you look at the top paid right tackles, and I did this before uh, we started taping here. He did somewhere around $11 million a year would put you around the top five. And again, you know how it goes when you, you become a free agent at the right time. You might not be one of the best five players at your position, but you're hitting free agency at that right time. And there's teams that need a right tackle bad. He's going to get paid. He's going to get some money. Just like last year with Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips, they got a lot of money in free agency. I think that's what's going to happen with Williams. I'm actually, if, if you force me to bet, I would bet that the Bills lose both of them. Really? I hope wow. I'm wrong. I, I want to see them both back. And I would pick Williams if they could only have one because of the reasons that you said, because I agree with you 100%. But I wouldn't be surprised if they lost both of them. I worry, how much of a factor do you think Milano's injuries play into what he gets paid? A lot. Right? Oh, hold on, hold on. A lot for the Bills. Maybe yeah. not a lot for another team. There'll be, there'll market, be a couple I think teams they'll overpay. I agree with you. I think for the Bills, though, and, oh, man, because, yeah, I, I just, I worry about that. I want to say it was like hamstrings or whatever. I don't have it up in front of me, Pat, but it's like he kept having the same issue for a little while, right? But then he had an upper body, I want to say. I just think that he's, but it's his style, too. He's like this downhill guy, and he plays with tenacity. He's an old safety, right? So it's like that that comes at that mindset breeds injuries. So 11, like maybe maybe there's a way that they could lose both. Maybe there's a way they can both get both. If Milano signs on the lower end, like that 11 that you said, like, and, and you were saying, what was the, uh, for the right tackle, what was the range? Was it similar? You said 11 to like in the, that top, 11? The, t the top five right tackles, I'll uh, run them down real quick. And this is their annual average salary. This doesn't, have, this doesn't account for like signing bonus or anything, which is average salary, uh, Lane Johnson, 18 million, Trent Brown, 16 and a half, Conklin, 14, uh, Juwan James, 12.7, and Mitchell Schwartz around 11. So, I, you know, Brian Beluga, that's the kind of deal I could see happening. Like, Brian Beluga, he's 32 years old. He signed with the Chargers this offseason, got hurt. 
but he got a three-year, $30 million deal. I could very easily, with $19 million guaranteed, I could see that at a minimum for a guy um, like, uh, like Williams getting that in the open market. And again, yeah, you probably can't go over 10 annual, right? And so yeah. it's going to come down to the guaranteed money that they give them? Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, look, there, there's also things they could do because right now, again, they're in crappy uh, salary cap space or uh, shape. They're not good. Uh, you look at, and then you look at the top, <laughs> like the bills right now. And by the way, they're not the only team, like almost half the league is over the cap. And by that, because they're projecting it dipping by, I think like 22 million, but there are some teams that are in incredible cap shape. Jacksonville's got $73 million in cap space right now. <laughs> Indy's got six. Indy's got 64. The Jets got 63. New England, you know what? They got $58 million. Uh, Washington, Washington, Cincy, Tampa, and Miami. Those are the teams in the NFL that all have at least $22 million or more in cap space. By the way, all those teams I listed, all three of the other AFC East teams are in significantly better cap shape than Buffalo. So a guy like Matt Milano, it would suck. But you know what? He does hit the market, New England, the Jets, Miami. They know him as good as anybody. They see him twice a year. Ditto for Daryl Williams, man. It's uh these guys are gonna get paid. It's just it's gonna be interesting. But the Bills, the best way to save cap money, uh, John I'm looking now, John Brown, they could save like eight million if they were to cut him. Um Addison. Yeah. They could save <clears throat> Addison six million by cutting him. Butler, I think they're gonna keep Addison though. Vernon Butler, six point eight million they could save in cap space. I think they'll do that. I think they'll get rid of him. Uh, him and Brown, I could, I could see that, and maybe even Mitch Morris. Because here's the other thing, Chris. We just talked about the importance of the trenches and the offensive line and how bad the right tackle position's been. The Bills have to, no matter what they do at right tackle, they got to get better in the interior. And this is what's weird. Because John Feliciano, who's a free agent, he's well-liked by fans, well-talked about by the media, but... You know, they weren't very good on the inside. He's a guard. And Mitch Morris, great pass blocker, not great run blocker, man. It's just, I don't know what it is. The offensive line was, they weren't that good. Especially running, they couldn't run the football last year. So, I don't know. If you were going to not want to sign Daryl Williams, maybe that could be your case. Yeah. You know, the line wasn't great with him. But, I don't know, it's just going to be really interesting, man. It's, it's a different year than the last two. The last two years, cap issue wasn't a, or the salary cap wasn't really an issue. And, la- and I think Brandon Bean knew that, by the way, Chris, because, I mean, they signed, they re-signed um, De- Deion Dawkins. And who else? I'm forgetting someone else. They extended, like, Jordan Poyer. I know they extended, like, three guys last year before the season started. I think they anticipated this. I really wish Matt Milano would have been one of them. But It's uh, going to kill me, man. If Milano, say he hits the open market, if he goes back to Boston and plays for the Patriots, that would break my heart because I'm with you. It, like what you just presented to me was like an F Mary kill in a way, but like without yeah. the, like the Mary, right? right. No, cause no I'm Mary. not, cause I'm not interested in being married. Okay. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but, and that was, the, it was really hard. Cause I, I really like both the players. I mean, if, you know, again, Milano has more sizzle, right? He's the sexier guy that you want to keep. But you got to look at the big picture, man. And that's kind of what I wanted to do was just let's review the history of the position. And I could make a case. And I, I can't look, I'm, I can't pull names out of my ass that are like draft eligible this year. But you could probably, I could probably make a case that that linebacker position 
you could probably find it's easier to find a replacement there than it would for the right tackle. Yeah. Well, one other thing too, let me revise what I said, because I said that there's a good chance they're not going to sign either guy. That is only true under one circumstance. Maybe they can get one. Hell, maybe they could get two again. Don't discount Brandon Bean's creativity if he wants both guys back. But here's one thing that we haven't discussed. Josh Allen is due, not due. Josh Allen is eligible yeah. for a new contract now this offseason. His salary cap number for 2021, as of right now, is only $6.9 million. The Bills are able to do a lot of stuff because they had a, a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. Those funny games are about to be over. Can so they, you got to go all in do, next year, man. You got to keep him you, where he's at. Yeah. You got to go all in next year. Do you think that the Bills can get away with another offseason of not signing? Do you think the Bills can get away with not giving him his long-term deal this offseason? Because if you do that, you're going to be in a lot more salary cap trouble, not just now, but obviously in future years as well. Because if this guy gets a new deal now in the offseason, that's just going to average no less than thirty million a year. I can guarantee. I think you got to you got to bank on Allen wanting to be here. And look, if if he goes out and just dominates the league next year, then he'll be worth whatever he gets. Yeah. Given his age and everything else, and if you can kind of keep the receiving core somewhat intact, I think you're going to lose Brown and all that stuff. I mean, you know, go out and get him a, another tight end eventually. I, I I just think that you have to do that. You have to kind of roll the dice. And he's going to get paid no matter what. What's like if the Bills go and win the Super Bowl? What's that going to add onto his annual salary? Like what? What does a number go from? Say they get to the AFC Championship game next year and the same result, they fall short and they get beaten by a clearly better team with a better quarterback. His number, you just threw thirty, right? Yeah, and I'm being I'm being uh, cautious with that number. I think it could be more significantly more than that. If you if they win the Super Bowl next year, it doesn't matter, right? You can give them whatever he wants. They still got the Super Bowl, right? So it's like I think that you have to I think you have to just kind of go in there and roll the dice a little bit. <laughs> I honestly think that's what you have to do. Um, well, well, giving him a fifth year, making the exercise in the fifth year option is gonna be an I that's obviously a that's a no brainer. Right. But like my, I guess my point is my question is, do you think they can get away? Do you think Josh Allen's going to be good with saying, all right, let's not worry about my contract this year. We will wait until after next season. He has the leverage and you know how sports goes, dude. Yeah. A lot of times it's about leverage and he's got leverage right now. I'm not saying he's going to, and I certainly hope he doesn't, but if the bills aren't looking to give him that big money right now, he could kind of force their hand a little bit, kind of sort of like, I don't want to say Dak Prescott because he he got franchise tagged and he had played his contract out. So it's a little bit different. Point being is that Josh Allen's got all the leverage. I feel like he does right now. No, he does. He definitely does. And I think the bills know that too. And I think they have a very good relationship with that person that has all the leverage right now. And I think you have to bank on that relationship and just dialogue. It's like any other business, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. I haven't put a lot of thought into that. And, and, uh, you know, in all honesty, if you can't tell, but you know, I still think that you have to just, <laughs> he's going to be here no matter what. And I think he wants to be here, whether it's extend him now or, you know, I, it's hard to say, man, because I don't think that he, we, it's hard introducing that into the conversation that we just had. 
because then all of a sudden, like you ha- like that goes back to my point of why I said Daryl Williams over Milano. It's because it's all about Josh Allen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's maybe it's a good faith gesture and good negotiating posture for Allen if you lock up Williams and yeah. you start making moves in the right direction. That's kind of how I would play it, but it's really hard to answer. It's really hard to answer because the dollars are just so big and the cap room right now is small. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, man, I just, I, I study this upcoming off season and it's just, it's every bit as interesting as the last two is just completely different because again, 28 or 2019, 2020, everything was on the table, like in terms of who we could go get. Now it's like, how are they going to play this? Because again, they got not, not great cap room guys. They really want to bring back. And by the way, I didn't even mention some other decent, like again, John Feliciano is a free agent. Maybe they bring him back. I think that's so. I think if they bring Feliciano back, I think they would cut Mitch Morse. I don't think they're going to keep Morse and Feliciano. So if they re-sign Feliciano, I think they would come at the expense of cutting uh, Mitch Morris and maybe Feliciano to play center. Because again, they got to change something up in the interior of the offensive line because it wasn't good. But real quick, circling back to Josh Allen. So, dude, it's the offseason now. And it's like this in every sport. And you know, it's probably like this with every fan base. But Bill's Twitter is bored. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some media folk too, they're bored. I'm bored. Uh, somehow this became a thing on Twitter because a staffer got traded. And for golf and a million first round draft picks. Yep. And I, I tweeted uh, because people were saying, well, if Stafford got this, you know, just imagine what Deshaun uh, Watson is going to fetch via trade. And a lot of Bills fans were saying Josh Allen's better. I'm like, so I tweeted this word for word. I said, Chris, I said this. I said, dear Bills Twitter. So we're clear. I love Josh Allen, developed quarterback. MVP worthy season, the present and the future of the franchise. Given all that goes into an organization, I wouldn't trade him for any quarterback other than Mahomes. That said, don't say he's a better quarterback than Watson. He's not. So stop it. <laughs> a lot of people, because a lot of people were saying, well, I wouldn't trade Josh Allen for Deshaun Watson. I'm not saying that I would either, but don't tell me that Deshaun Watson is not the better quarterback. You know, come on. I know you, you, you know hockey a little bit better than football, but I know you know more than the average person with football. Are you going to tell me that Josh Allen's better than Deshaun Watson? No, I'm not going to tell you that. Thank um, you. No, I, was, I can't. I was going to get mad at you if you were. <laughs> no, but I, and here's the other thing, by the way. Like, Watson sneakily had a good year this year. <laughs> on a, on sure. a really bad team. Horrible um, team. Right. So, no, I don't think that at all. Um, I think Watson, Josh Allen's a great athlete and he's in a great situation here. The converse, like, I'll be honest with you, the conversation for me is a non-starter because Josh Allen, the attachment that this community has to him already, he's here. He is Buffalo. And it's just, it's a non-starter in terms of like, who would you rather have? Would you rather have another quarterback? And I'm not necessarily saying that's what the conversation is about either. It's about who's the better player at the position. It's right. really hard to answer if one has a, like a, a clear, like wide edge over the other. Josh Allen was set up way more to succeed than Deshaun Watson was this year. And Deshaun Watson, like I said, had a great season, in my opinion. I think Watson's a better athlete, um, that game-breaking talent. And I'm still nervous about Allen in the big games. Like even in that Kansas City game, the game, the moment may have been a little too big for him. 
there were a couple plays that were reminiscent of that last game that they played, not this past season, but two seasons ago. So yeah, for sure. Um, Allen's still learning. I, I love them both as players, but no, you can't sit here though and say Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson, in my opinion. No, no. and look, both can be true, by the way. You could rather have Josh Allen. Like if I was Brandon Bean and Houston called me and said, I'll trade you to Sean Watson. I'm not sure I would jump at that because a lot of the reasons you said, he's the face of the franchise. They've won with him. They've developed him. The team trusts him. Trading him might send the wrong message to the guys in the locker room. So I'm not saying I would even make the trade. Both things could be true. I could rather have Josh Allen or say I wouldn't trade Josh Allen for Deshaun Watson. That does not mean that Deshaun Watson is not the better quarterback of the two. Put it this way. And again, no offense to Bills fans or anyone who's a big Josh Allen fan. I love Josh Allen. But go around the NFL, and I promise you, 31 other fan bases and 31 other front office personnel people, GMs, owners, whoever, they would take Deshaun Watson over Josh Allen, period. End of story. And I'm very confident in saying that, too. If they were both on the trade market right now, Watson probably gets the better haul. And sure. I think that that might tell you, that might be the answer to the question. If you were a GM right now, Chris, if you were the G, if you were a franchise, um, an expansion GM of a franchise and every single player in the NFL was available for you. Okay. You couldn't protect anybody for whatever reason in this stupid new NFL rule and you're on the clock and Mahomes was the first or you, Mahomes couldn't be touched. Anyone else could be touched. Any other quarterback. Who are you drafting? Are you drafting for your football team that you're starting tomorrow, Deshaun Watson or Josh Allen? Oh, it's it's tough. No, it's tough. Listen, it's tough. And I would probably say, yeah, screw it. I'll take Aaron Rodgers. No, I'm just kidding. He's like 37 years old. He's almost <laughs> as old as I am. Um, no, it's it's really hard. But that's the point. That's the point of the conversation for me. It's hard to say that one is decisively better than the other. And that's a credit um, to Josh Allen. It's it a, a credit, credit to Josh because a year ago, oh, yes. a year ago, we would be even talking about this. I'd be laughing. We'd be laughing at everybody who would even suggest it. I'm look in a big game. I think you got to do it in the big game scenario. You got one game, you have to win it. Yeah, and it's probably that might be Deshaun Watson's spot. Um. Yeah. Neither guys really won anything, but look, I I still think here's the best thing about Josh Allen, and again, the fact that we're even having, in my opinion, Deshaun Watson being the second best quarterback in the NFL. The fact that we're even having this discussion tells you how much better Josh Allen has gotten. And I still don't think he's hit his ceiling yet, which is another thing I heard a lot about. Well, Josh hasn't hit his ceiling and Deshaun has. Dude, I'm like, Deshaun Watts is 25 years old, man. And he's been in a shitty organization with terrible management and he's 25. I'm pretty confident the, the kid's got room to get better himself yeah. in a better situation. You know, uh, put Deshaun Watson with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. You know what I'm saying? You'd be getting different results. But my oh, whole point sure. was the fact that we're even talking about these two in the same sentence right now just shows you how far Josh Allen's come as a quarterback in just over this past year or so. And I think I mentioned this to you when I, I was on with you. I think the last time I was on with you, they were going into the Rams game. I think, you know, they'd beaten the Dolphins and the Jets. And we were talking at that time. It's like, all right, now we get to see a little bit more of what Josh Allen's made of, you know. And I am so impressed by Allen. And I just – it's such a hard conversation to have. And I'm not, I'm not agreeing with you because it's your show. <laughs> you know what I mean? But right. Deshaun Watson should, he can't be discounted by anyone. 
And I think that's probably what's going on. And maybe that's what you take umbrage with. But again, like with Allen and the whole thing with Buffalo, like he is so Buffalo. He's so attached to this community and the fans. There's a two-way mutual admiration there that is special. And you don't get that a lot. And the Bills have done so much to build this culture. Like, why do you think they kept Trent Murphy? Because of the culture, right? Like, yeah. wasn't he a big part of that? Like, that, you know, I just, I can't even, I can't even entertain the conversation or the thought of like, you know what I mean? Because I frankly don't care if he's better than Watson or not, or vice versa. Right. I, I mean, it, Watson- it, it's pointless. Like I said, it's offseason boring talk because yeah. Josh Allen is the Bills quarterback for for the foreseeable future, for sure. Which, by the way, Chris, and you brought up a great point, and it made me think of something here. So there's only one thing left in the development of Josh Allen. So in 2018, his rookie year, we wanted to see if the goddamn guy was just, kid was even an NFL quarterback. You know, last year, or in 2019, I should say, it was, he's got a lot of skill, but this kid ain't got no damn accuracy. This past year in 2020, he went to that next level. Josh Allen was very accurate throwing the football. He was far more consistent. He, I mean, he still made mistakes, but he made a lot of, he made more intelligent decisions in the year before. His stats were off the chain better. And again, he was far more accurate. That was the biggest knock on him. The kid can't, he has no accuracy. He proved that's not the case. He's got one more step and you hit on this. And I agree with you hundred percent. He's got to show that he could play great football in the biggest games. Because that's the one thing he has not done. 2019 against Houston, he semi-fell apart in the playoffs. This year, he was good against Indy. He was, eh, against Baltimore. And he was not good against Kansas City. Now, again, it's not just Josh Allen's fault. The team wasn't good. But the quarterback was not good. And he needs a show to get to that next level, to get to that very top of the heap in the NFL among quarterbacks. I think he needs to show that he could play great in the biggest games. And I think he will because, you know what, he's proven everybody wrong every step of the way. Yeah. So, like, I have no reason to believe that he won't hit the target there either. It's unfortunate that he's likely, in order to prove those people wrong, he's probably going to have to beat Patrick Mahomes. And that's what's scary. But I think he's up for the challenge, you know? It is scary because, you know, the thing with with the Chiefs is I hear a lot of people say that, okay, well, the Bills got to this level and this is part of the process to get over the hump, which often is true. But sometimes you get a team that's just so good. Like with the Bulls, remember they had to beat the Pistons to get over the hump? Here's the problem though. The Pistons were old and getting ready to get out of the scene. You know what I mean? I know where you're going exactly. The Chiefs are, the Chiefs to me, they don't remind me of the Bulls that had to get past the Pistons. The Chiefs right now remind me of the Bulls in the mid-90s that won six straight NBA championships when Michael played anyway. And there were a lot of good second best teams during that time. I'm a lifelong New York Knicks fan. So trust me, I remember it as well. The Knicks were very good in the nineties, but they can never get past the bulls. That's my biggest concern with the Buffalo bills right now is they're a very good team. Very well could be the second best team in the AFC for years to come, but man, getting past the chiefs, tall order. Very going to be very difficult to do. Patrick, here's the thing though. It's not even about the chiefs having Mahomes. The Chiefs have something very important that the Bills don't have, and it's not a quarterback. It's the running game. You get Josh Allen a running game, 
And maybe there's a little bit more for Josh Allen to actually play with to leverage his skill sets even more. You know what I mean? Where you get a little bit more of a balanced attack. Josh Allen's theoretically be more effective. Yeah, for absolutely. And it's not even necessarily that they need to run the football more than they do. They need to run the football more effectively than they do. Just being more effective with the running game will open up so much more. Look, I'm very high on Josh Allen. I'm, I'm glad he's a Buffalo Bill. It feels fantastic to finally have that franchise guy. I just, the only thing point I was making is I'm going to stop short of saying the dude's better than Deshaun Watson because he's not. That was my only point. I, I do got one more quick item here before we get out. It's kind of ironic because I've been telling you about the salary cap being bad. The Bills might not be able to sign this guy or that guy, but there's been a lot of rumors out there that J.J. Watt's going to be available. And especially if Houston trades to Sean Watson, it's a foregone conclusion J.J. Watt's going to be gone. He's not going to be part of a rebuilding effort here. Um, So yeah, ultimately, I think they're going to get rid of him, man. And that would mean, so he's got one year left on a contract, um, $17 million. No, that's, that's his contract. Now, again, if Houston cannot find a trading partner, I would be willing to bet they're going to cut him because they're going nowhere with him. There's no dead cap money. So literally Houston can cut him and save 17 million, but they're going to try to find a trade partner. If you're the Buffalo bills, do you, uh, is this something you really want to explore? Because I mean, let's look at it both ways here. We're trying to pinch panties and figure out ways to resign some of their own guys, which I do think is the Brandon Bean way. But we also know Brandon Bean's not afraid to swing for defenses. And the Buffalo Bills are in win-now mode right now. If they're not in win-now mode right now, when are they ever going to be? And a guy like J.J. Watt, even if he's not the J.J. Watt that we've seen four or five years ago, Duke can still play football. And I wouldn't mind seeing him on the other side of Jerry Hughes for 2021. Like, what, what's your thought on that? So I just leaned back in my chair and I, I'm looking at this whiteboard on my wall. I got a big giant whiteboard here. Okay. It's got mm-hmm. all this work crap for my job written all over it. I will wipe all that off and I need someone to come over here and show me how that works. How do you fit JJ Watt? And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Someone come over here and, and please wipe all this crap that I don't want to deal with anyways off this whiteboard and show me how that works. So J.J. Watt, of course, you know, he has, again, in my opinion, somewhat limited. A lot of people know this more than I do, but I think he's got some tread left on the tire. Okay. He can still play. He would have to do a significant restructuring of his contract in order for any trade to even work. So say they cut him. Why would he, if he's going to go at a, not, not make $17 million somewhere else, potentially, why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just go to like Pittsburgh? Instead um, of Buffalo, with family. It's a very good question, which kind of circles back to what we discussed at length with the Sabres earlier, and that's culture. A couple years ago, a guy like J.J. Watt wouldn't be caught dead playing for Buffalo unless he was going to get overpaid or no one else wanted him and he wanted to keep his career going. That has been the trademark calling card for Bill's free agents for many, many years. Pre-Sean McDermott. That ain't the case no more, though. This is a team that was one game away from the Super Bowl. Does J.J. Watt... I'll get it right. Does J.J. Watt want to win? Yeah. No, I hear you. If that comes first, you're going to a team that is almost there. Do you know what I'm saying? So 
And there's always creative ways to do contracts. They can sign a longer deal where they might get more money up front, but then they can prorate the bonus. They know they're going to get cut after one year. They're not going to see all that money. And then the bills could spread that cap hit out. So there's creative ways. But yeah, the culture of this team has changed to the point that somebody like a J.J. Watt, which we would be saying that's silly a couple of years ago, ain't so silly no more. And I'm not saying he would want to come here either. You could be 100% right. Playing with his brother in Pittsburgh, I'm sure it would be really cool for him. But it's a possibility, at least, that, you know, wasn't a possibility too long ago. I think you're right. And, like, if Bean was to go back-to-back off-seasons bringing in Stephon Diggs and then J.J. Watt, oh, my God. Like, Byron Brown is just going to just get so many keys to the city, mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they yeah. gave him a TO for crying out loud. Could you imagine? So, yeah, I don't know, man. That's hard to fathom. I mean, I guess we've seen stranger things. And by the way, you asked a question and I answered it by asking a question. That's a good little trick there. You know, I'm winking at you right now. Um, <laughs> you know, but like, no, I really, I, it's hard to wrap my, my head around this. You know what I mean? Um, I see a lot of value, obviously, in bringing him here for mentorship of a, a guy like, you know, an Ed Oliver. Maybe it gets him going on the inside and, um, little Texas connection there, you know, like I, I see it. I see so much value in that. I just, I can't even envision it though. We just spent, you know, 20 minutes talking about the cap jail and having to resign Josh Allen. I get what you're saying about creativity. I totally get it. I just don't know what it looks like. Again, my whiteboard, please, someone show me. Cause I'm all in, <laughs> show me how it works. I just I don't know, it, man. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think it's very likely. I think that's why you draft guys, even if they don't play their first year, like AJ Epinesa, I think that's why you go out and you draft somebody like him. Because you could get a guy like that who's going to produce for you far cheaper than swinging a trade. You're not going to be able to go out and get a trade for Stefan Diggs every day. Which, by the way, <laughs> all this cap talk, we didn't even hit on that. Your boy outplayed his contract, and it wouldn't stun me if he's looking for a new deal as well. So it's going to be insanely interesting this year with the Buffalo Bills this offseason for, and again, it's fun now because now they're a Super Bowl contender and how things play out is going to be uh, crazy. But anyway. I don't want to put you on the spot, Patrick, but real quick before before you want to put a bow on this whole thing, because I know we're going long and I apologize. That's my fault. But with, um, isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there an issue with the cap right now? Like not really knowing what that cap ceiling is because of revenue and, and everything being missed out with pandemic? Well, isn't the, the cap the, in the, question? The, Nothing's official right now, but everyone, they're operating on the assumption. I believe, I, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive I'm not. They're on the assumption that the cap, I don't know what it was, but it's going down to like 176 or something like that. I think it's going down by 11%, like 22 million or something like that. Oh, wow. And so that's why a lot of teams, and even on sites that I go on all the time, like over the cap and spot rack and stuff, they all have a salary cap. I believe it's based on 176. I'd have to to go back and look for sure. but. Yeah, $176 million is the projected cap for 2021. And it was much higher. I don't have it in front of me, but I know it was higher than that in 2020. So it's going to time. They picked a shitty time to get good, is what you're saying. Yeah, they picked a really shitty time. Between that and no fan, well, limited fans in the stands for the yeah. playoffs. But yeah, <laughs> okay. it could be worse. We could have two teams like the Sabres going right now. You know, at least we only got one. Jeez. Boy, hey man, I'll tell you what though, this was fun to sit down. You offered me, and thank you for this, you offered me a really good break from um, 
my professional activity, what's been going on. There's so much going on. I have a lot on my plate. This is what I like to do though. <laughs> so um, always good to chat with you. And you, you made my brain think about things that I don't get to talk about a lot lately because I've been sucked in and pulled into different directions. So this has been awesome. This has been really fun. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how, you know, especially on the bill side, it's like this giant Rubik's cube that Brandon Bean has to just keep massaging until he figures it out. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Very big thank you again, Chris Baker. Give him a follow on Twitter at Sabres Prospects. One of my favorite guests, seven, eight times. Oh my God, I've had him on now. Love talking, not just hockey, but all kinds of stuff with Chris. So thank you very, very much. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. Only takes a few seconds to do, and it really helps me continue to grow the show. So thank you very, very much for listening. I say it all the time. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. Have a good week. Stay safe. I'll be back. Brand new episode on Friday. I'm going to have Gabriel Mediak from Channel 4.